0: Many things impact a compliance program, how it runs and how well it works, but nothing has the same impact as the constantly changing and evolving technology landscape. In ComTech, a podcast on the intersection of technology and compliance, co-hosts Tom Fox and Valerie Charles will help you understand what changes in technology mean for your compliance program. Here's your hosts, Tom and Valerie.
1: Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox, back again with Valerie Charles for another episode of ComTech. Today we have with us Jamie Spatero. Valerie's going to introduce him.
0: So Jamie comes to us from FedEx Ground, sitting in Pittsburgh, and we're super happy to have you here. Jamie, welcome. Uh, Maybe you can just kind of start by telling us a little bit about your professional background and, and how you landed in your chair.
2: Certainly. Well, thank you guys for having me. Really looking forward to talking today. And I'm James Patera. I, I am currently a lead counsel at FedEx Ground in their legal department. I handle regulatory affairs work primarily, and handle a number of different areas under under that umbrella. Most of which is workplace safety, which we'll be talking a lot about today. I also handle hazmat transportation, environmental, border security, indirect air carrier, sustainability, and of course these days I also handle infectious diseases and COVID issues for our FedEx ground, so a lot of fun stuff going on right now, but I've been with FedEx for 12 years. Before that, I was with law firm of K&L Gates here in Pittsburgh for five years doing litigation and products liability work, uh, asbestos work, some environmental litigation there. So that's my professional background, a little bit of what I do, and I'm not at work. I am a, a weekend wannabe rock star. I've been in a band now same band for 12 years, piano and lead lead vocals. I'm also a private pilot. I got my license uh, last January, right before COVID hit. So uh, my, my dad was a pilot growing up, so I finally decided to go get my um, pilot's license. So excited about that, getting back up once COVID's over. I'm also a we talked about, kind of a tech junkie. I like to build computers and interested in tech. And then finally, I also I'm fluent in Spanish, so I, I do some side translation work for FedEx Ground as necessary. We have a very diverse workforce, and uh, from time to time, I'm able to assist FedEx in translating, you know, documents, communications, things like that to uh, help out our clients. So, yeah, these days, I uh, said the largest part of my work these days is, is, is supporting our safety department through workplace safety.
0: Fantastic. That's, that was all very interesting. I'm going to go ahead and ask the name of the band. was <laughs> the
2: name? It's funny you ask that. The name of the band is Grasping at Straws. And being that we are four lawyers and one municipal bond fund manager, that sounds like a wild group, right? We had a very complicated <laughs> voting process and Robert's Rules of Orders so try to come up with a band name. And at one point, I put my hand up and goes, guys, at this point, it seems like we're just grasping at straws for a name. And of course, someone else goes, that's a great idea for the band name. And that stuck. So I'm going to keep my mouth shut in the future. Uh, that's where our, our band name came from there are a couple of other grasping straws in the world, but they spell it with Z's. And and so we don't feel like we're infringing on anybody's copyrights.
0: (laughs) So speaking of of your safety, your safety focus, is it primarily OSHA, the regulatory framework?
2: Yes, primarily OSHA. Past year, it's also really been a lot of COVID-related work and, and how that overlaps with OSHA. But absolutely, uh, and I'll just say, you know, FedEx Ground and, and our legal department, we support essentially the entire U.S., 50 states, as well as Canada. So I, I don't practice law in Canada. I support our Mrs. Our client and, of course, engaging counsel in Canada. So we're handling, you know, sort of U.S., OSHA, state and federal plans, as well as provincial and federal ESDC and Labor Canada issues as well.
1: So, Jamie, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your Private practice experience, and then how that led you to FedEx?
2: Sure. Well, I was uh, at KL Gates for five years, just handling a lot of a wide variety of product liability and asbestos work, and quite honestly, you had a lot of fun doing that. It was able to get into court and do a lot of the, you know some of the, I guess, perks of being involved in you know, asbestos defense is that you really get to um, take ownership over a lot of your, your own cases, and you get to go to court. Argue motions and do a lot of things that perhaps junior associates wouldn't typically be able to do in a large law firm. So I was lucky to be able to do a lot of that. After about five years, I felt like I just, you know, learned kind of maybe as much as I was going to learn and was looking for a new challenge. I'm always looking for new challenges if you can't tell from some of my hobbies. And I'm always looking to continue learning. So there have been several other of our attorneys at KL Gates who had made their way over to FedEx Ground, which is a, a large corporate employer in Pittsburgh. And it's one of the larger in-house legal departments in the Pittsburgh area. And just through those folks going over, I, I would keep in touch with them and call them every you know, week, every month and say, hey, how do you like it over there? So perhaps just to stop me from calling them, they, they eventually got asked me to come over and interview for a regulatory job, which was kind of, a, in a sense, a, a 180 from what I was doing. I was doing, obviously, more advocacy in my litigation role, but I found the idea of getting involved in the regulatory area to be exciting and kind of a new challenge. And it was a new group that FedEx Brown was building. So I was able to go over there and get it on the ground floor of that group. And now today, we have a number of attorneys in that group, and we continue to grow as Of course, as as the regulations continue to come and impact our business, we are a highly regulated business. And there's just a a whole alphabet soup of acronyms from EPA to DOT to FAA to CDC that you can imagine that we have to um, sort of deal with and make sure we not only protect the company, but make sure that our employees are safe and make sure that our workforce is safe and make sure that we're complying, you know, with the laws and regulations and make sure we're protecting our brand.
1: Jamie, I can't think of a practice area that may have changed more in the last now year than in the area you were in. And certainly uh, having an OSHA background was helpful, but I wanted to really ask, FedEx, I assume, had the designation as essential. Certainly, they were essential for my household. I see them uh, several times a week. But how did you and your team really work to craft a safe working environment, kind of above and beyond or, or not really taking OSHA into account, really keep your employees safe over the last year? Because you were essential and, and you were out dealing with the public and you did have employees together sorting packages and mail. And, and uh, how did you keep all of that running? That's a great question, Tom.
2: You are correct that you know we were fortunate to be considered critical infrastructure during the last year of this pandemic. And during that process, we certainly had to be nimble and you know, adapt our practices to to keep our workforce safe, and obviously to keep our customers safe. One very visible example is, and in, in if if you've you know received any deliveries from FedEx Ground or or FedEx, any of our sister codes over the past year, you probably noticed that we don't have sort of in-person signature requirements right now. We have a driver can approach and and kind of put in. They saw you standing there. If a signature was re- was required, you don't need to touch the scanner actually, you know, interact with a driver. So that's kind of a visible way in which we've, you know, leaving things on a doorstep if we can and picking things up, you know, without having to interact. So that's from the outside standpoint, that's one thing that we've done. Certainly, many of us are working from home and have had to find ways to help counsel our clients in a remote fashion. It's been a challenge in a sense, because, you know, I like to say there's probably over 600 different you know, state, federal, local, and sometimes municipal COVID regulations right now. And they vary greatly sometimes from city to city. So we've had to make sure that we have been able to develop a corporate-wide pandemic production program, which really takes kind of the lowest common, or I should say highest common denominator of all of those rules and regulations and really kind of applies them across the board so that our our workforce and the vendors that are in our building uh, are staying safe. And and that has been just a fantastic process. As you can imagine, you know, CDC and OSHA and NIOSH regularly update their guidance as the science evolves with COVID. So we have had to likewise adjust sometimes and adapt our safety protocols to comply with updated science. It's been, and people talk about uncharted territory, it's been really fascinating watching how things have changed and how we've been able to adapt. And I think that we have arrived at a place where, you know, we have a very effective program in place and we bill it as a pandemic protection program, right? It's not just a COVID protection program. And so hopefully we never see something like this again or for a very long time. But if we would, you know, we feel that our program could accommodate, you know, any any similar type of pandemic that might come across in the future. And we understand how critical FedEx is and, and, and other small package carriers, how critical they are to the larger economy, as you said, Tom. So we need to make sure that we're you know, keeping our employees safe and keeping our customers safe. So, it's been a, you know, I myself have been working from home since last March. And we don't have plans to go back until after I think the summer is over. So because of just, you know, making sure that we're safe, you know, obviously the folks in our building have been there and and have been in the trenches so we certainly commend our workforce and all the employees and vendors who have been working uh, on our behalf uh, because they've done a stellar job in keeping operations going
1: Jamie the subtitle of this podcast is an intersection of compliance and technology but I wanted to turn that a little bit and ask you about the intersection of health and safety and technology and how FedEx has been able to integrate technology into really your role as a lawyer, to help promote health and safety within the company?
2: That's a great question, Tom. And, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about here was, you know, how has OSHA compliance, you know, grown and changed in recent years? And and I'll say, since I started in 2008 in the area of OSHA compliance, enforcement has become really primarily data-driven. And so being able to manage, receive, you know, manipulate and query data has been at the forefront of how we're able to stay compliant, continue to comply with, as I know I've said to Valerie in the past, really increasing data demands on our business and really on the businesses of, of many different employers. I'll give you an example. You know, since 2016, OSHA now collects injury and illness data electronically from every employer who has record-keeping obligations. That rule was clawed back a little bit in 2019 under the Trump administration, but uh, under the Biden administration, we're likely to see an expansion. Of that rule back to its original scope and so what that means is just a a voluminous amount of injury and illness data being requested from employers like FedEx and so what that has meant for us is we have uh, had to look for creative solutions to allow us to you know collect and manipulate that kind of data And, and where it's been really helpful for us is that we can you know look for patterns look for root causes you know using data to try and predict behavioral patterns for our employees has been just very helpful. So we certainly are a data-driven business. The enforcement agencies, I think, are, are, are signing on board to becoming data-driven enforcement arms. And so I, I think that the biggest change I have seen is how data is used and, and, and leveraged to, again, ensure compliance and also to maybe spot areas within a business that may need some help. One example I'll give is we, we can use data that we've been able to compile to determine, you know, how long an employee has been with the company and, and finding patterns, you know, where are the injuries and illnesses happening? And, and does that is that impacted by how long an employee has been with the company? You know, newer employees versus employees that are veterans. And so uh, being able to query and manipulate that data is really key for us. And it's also interesting because as we leverage technology as FedEx, our employees are also incredibly more well-equipped these days to leverage technology as well. You know, the general public, for instance, can perform establishment searches online to see ocean inspection data for any employer going back quite some time. You know, uh, our own workforce can, you know, go online to access ocean regulations. They can go online, any employees can go online to you know, file safety complaints, if they feel that's necessary. And so there's so much that can be done online and so much data out there that we certainly hope uh, will be leveraged in a positive way to help, you know, find the root cause and essentially make workplace safety better for everyone.
1: So the three goals of every compliance program is to prevent, detect, and remediate. And you gave one of the best examples of utilizing data for all three, and I'm going to see if I got these right. First, you said you look at data to spot anomalies. That, to me, is the detect mode. You also said you use data to prevent injuries. And then you said, which I've not heard before, root cause analysis. Well, that leads to remediation. Would that be a fair assessment?
2: And that's one of the things that we heavily focused on a lot more, I guess, over the past, in recent years, is getting to the root cause. And, you know, I talked a little bit about the hierarchy of controls, which is this inverted pyramid. And that inverted pyramid, you know, sets forth what controls are most effective to address a hazard. At the top, you have obviously elimination, then you have substitution, then engineering controls. And that fourth from the bottom, administrative controls, is I think what we're talking about right now. And obviously fifth is PPE. And during the course of developing this, and I think you know, CDC has even said that the idea of of this pyramid is that those controls at the top are most effective. And as you go down the controls become less and less, less effective. Well, what we're seeing is the idea that you can influence a behavior to really change the way people work, you know, that should be where we're focusing a lot of our efforts because I like to say you can eliminate, you know, the hazard as much as possible, but if you don't get to the root cause of, of what behaviors can predict and lead to that type of injury, you may not ever really be able to fully resolve it. One example I always like to give is you know, tripping over the wet floor sign. You've tried to eliminate a hazard by putting up a sign. Well, if you don't have situational awareness, you're not paying attention to where you're going, you can still trip over the bright yellow wet floor sign. Right? And that's just a made up example, but it, it all goes back to trying to spot anomalies and trying to get to the root cause, being able to look at what behavior was an employee exhibiting you know, just prior to the incident happening. And we've actually seen. Similar accidents, not the wet floor sign, but similar accidents like that, certainly in, in my practice, where despite all of our best efforts, if someone's just having a busy day and, and maybe they're not paying as much attention as they might normally pay, they might just run into something. And so those are behaviors that we want to try to address. And using data to try and predict those behaviors may ultimately prove more and more effective, particularly as that data becomes more available. So that's kind of where we're going trying to flip that pyramid on its head trying to really focus on behavioral science and predicting behaviors so that we can prevent them from happening in the future. Last thing I'll say about that is we you know we use online training and many employers use online training because you want to make sure the workforce understands workplace hazards and is aware of them. But the challenge is that you know overestimating the ability of that training to change habitual behavior. And so being able to leverage data is just key.
0: Jamie, I think health and safety professionals and, and OSHA experts are probably going to lead the way for other compliance professionals in the use of behavioral psychology and compliance programs. So I would love to sort of think a little bit about if you haven't been steeped in this and you haven't been using health and safety data in this way, what can you sort of tell us about the psychology part of this, you know, I think there's a lot of talk about behavioral psychology, but how does it work? You know, when you got started with this, you know, assuming you've been at FedEx for more than a decade, you know, when you got there, I would sort of assume you didn't at that point have behavioral psychology factored in. So I'm wondering how, how do you get from point That's A to point question, B? That's a great question,
2: Val. Certainly prior to my coming to FedEx, I didn't have any OSHA workplace safety experience. I mean, I had worked in a lot of different factories and I had been exposed as a kid and a college kid, to workplace safety you know measures and and safety cultures as a worker, but not as an attorney and certainly not working for a larger organization and I would say that the idea of behavioral psychology and behavior science is really something that I wasn't exposed to you know in in my practice until about maybe four or five years ago it's a new tool, and so certainly it's something that again, if you're sticking to that. Traditional hierarchy of controls, you may see behavioral science down there at number four and think, well, you know, we're just going to go eliminate the control. And you absolutely should eliminate those controls wherever possible, remove the hazard from the workplace. But it's just been over the past four or five years that that fourth sort of layer on the pyramid is just getting more traction now. And I would certainly encourage employers more and more. To take a look at that and see if you can manage data that you may already have, you may be gathering workplace safety data in order to comply with OSHA record keeping r- requirements, for example. You know, an employer has to provide, record certain types of injuries on their OSHA log, and they have to submit those injuries to, to OSHA. Well, there's opportunities there. You've got just a, a gold mine of data that you can manipulate and you can manage. And if you can find a solution for. Querying that data, storing it, and managing in it, you may actually be able to to find that you can really achieve some interesting results. So I would just say, and I know one of the questions we had talked earlier was, you know, whether it's a off-the-shelf solution or an in-house data building solution. You know, there are companies out there that are working on this. You know, we're working with some companies to try and find data management solutions to be able to house this kind of data. So I certainly would encourage employers to take a look and see what's out there. There are off-the-shelf solutions for taking your data, even housing injury notice data, and allowing you to remotely query it. And in fact, allowing all of your locations you know, nationwide to be able to access it online or from a computer. So that's one of the benefits of, I think, you know, having all of this data and not just having it sitting aside and calling on it whenever you have to respond to an OSHA request for data, but actively using it. And so yeah, I again, you certainly could could build a solution in in-house and we've certainly done some of that as well at FedEx, but there really are just some fantastic vendors out there who can help you out with that. So
0: thinking a little bit about, you know, where we're going with this. You know, what do you think companies should be thinking about sort of next 5 years and beyond? Where's this all going? Cuz I think right now we're getting predictive in certain areas, but maybe maybe there's still not quite, you know, arms around all of these data sets. Do you I think, certainly think hope we're that gonna we get are. There? We're
2: talking about human behavior, right? It, that's very difficult to get your arms wrapped around what someone's thinking. However, there's a lot of very helpful research around workplace safety, behavioral science that, again, it's, it's, a, it's a new idea, but I think focusing on trends, look at trends, look at data, you know, find out, what circumstances were happening right before an injury happened. You can kind of query some of this stuff. And so I think in the next five years, I think I mentioned that OSHA, for instance, came out with a electronic record keeping rule where they're asking for, you know, a lot more data these days than maybe they've asked for in the past. I think employers should be prepared to see even larger data demands being placed upon employers and not just from workplace safety agencies but also from other types of agencies, environmental agencies, for example. We're seeing data demands being placed on employers from some, some state plan states, like California, for, for example. So I think that the need to be able to manage and store and manipulate and query data is only going to grow. So I would encourage employers, if you don't have a solution in, in, either in-house or one that you've purchased, start taking a look at, at that now because I think you're going to find that if you can, uh, you know, secure a solution in the workplace safety realm, you're going to find that solution may helpful for you in, in other areas. It's certainly going to be a lot more difficult, you know, to try and figure out a solution to collect and manage data in a reactive manner. So I certainly don't see this going away. But again, I think that kind of ride the coattails, so to speak, of some of these uh, regulatory initiatives. If you're going to make an employer collect and maintain data why not find a good use for us to predict behaviors? And, and so I think the longer timeline we have on the more data we have, the better we'll, we'll be at predicting workplace safety behavior trends.
1: Jamie, I'm also a recovering trial lawyer, and I was also a defense counsel <laughs> for petrochemical plants on the Texas Gulf Coast. And I started in the 80s, and there were some catastrophic accidents with multiple deaths at plants. And all of that sort of culminated in the Exxon Valdez in the early 90s, which of course was a massive oil spill. And energy companies made a conscious decision to make safety priority number one. It was communicated all the way down from the top. Every meeting started with a safety minute. We had training on safety. It was put burned in our consciousness. Every year, we would have a full company shutdown where we would discuss nothing but safety. And so when I moved into compliance, I saw many of the same issues and discussions that I had seen that the health and safety function in corporations start with in the late 80s and 90s. And it started out because the cost was so high, the insurance was so high, and of course, the loss of life. And really, after the public humiliation of, of Exxon and the Valdez, disaster. That's what elevated safety. And listening to you, it just struck me really, I don't want to say health and safety is a generation ahead of compliance, but 10 to 15 years. Would that be a a fair observation from your seat as well?
2: Absolutely, Tom. And I'm glad you raised sort of the Exxon Valdez, you know, incident. I mean, certainly back in my prior life, as you know, I I was a one of my majors was was communications and, and, you know, crisis communications. And we, We studied the Exxon Valdez case years ago and and kind of the idea of of what the impacts of those types of incidents were. And I think you're absolutely right that when it comes to trying to predict where things are going in the past, in the next 10 to 15 years, I mean, I think some of the lessons learned is from those types of events were that, you know, there might have been data available, but it maybe wasn't being, you know, used or manipulated in a way that might predict certain kinds of behaviors. And so, we certainly want to make sure that we you know, learn our lessons as well. Uh, at FedEx, we say safety above all, and we, we want to make sure that we put that you know, out there and make sure that everything that we do, we want to prioritize handling a package safely over handling a package quickly. While certainly handling things quickly is key to our business, we want to make sure that we don't do so at the expense of safety. So I think that any industry can ask themselves the same question. You want to do X quickly and as quickly as possible, but you want to do it safely. And to your point, Tom, the effects and damages to a company's brand can last decades. And so while prioritizing the safety of our employees and our workforce is always paramount, we also have to keep in mind that you know it takes years and years to build goodwill and trust for a product's brand. But it can take a moment to destroy, you know, the public's confidence in a large brand. So Uh, I think what what you're saying applies not only to workplace safety, but really to many different aspects of a company's brand. And and I think that safety needs to be at the forefront of everyone's list of priorities because we can see what dramatically negative impacts they can have on a company's brand. And At the end of the day, we want to be able to recruit employees that want to work at a safe place. And so you, you want employees, when looking for a place to go, to know, you know what? I think FedEx is a safe place. I want to go work there. So, yeah, I I think being a generation ahead is key. I think that safety is a place you want to be proactive and not reactive. So being ahead of the ball is key there.
1: Jamie, this has just been a fascinating exploration of a lot of ideas. I love being able to talk to a health and safety expert for really what we ended up with to see if I can draw those parallels. I wanted to uh, thank you, and I know Valerie wants to as well.
0: Yeah, we're so glad to have you on the podcast, and uh, this is great, and I'd love for us to keep the dialogue open. Um, I do think we have a lot to learn from, from health and safety, and love to talk to people um, who are really using data analytics in a fundamentally meaningful way that that matters, you know, matters in, in life and safety. So, appreciate your, your thoughts and your time, and uh, we'll keep chatting.
2: Absolutely, Val and Tom. Thanks for having me. and I'd love to chat again in the future.